Duke Energy says in the event a customer is unable to pay a past due bill, customer service specialists are available to discuss a customer's situation and provide assistance to meet the customer's specific needs. And customers who have more than 12 months of usage history at their current residence may qualify for one of the billing and payment plans that gives customers the option of levelizing monthly payments. Residential customer service specialists are available Monday through Friday, 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. by calling one 800 521-2232. Duke Energy presents Connecting Counties with your host Gus Piercy. A look at the economical, social, and educational decisions being made in Hendricks and surrounding counties and how they affect one another. And now your host, Gus Piercy. Good afternoon. My name is Gus Piercy. I am a reporter with CNHI Media, publishers of the Hendricks County Flyer, the Lebanon Reporter, and the Zionsville Times Sentinel. And today on Connecting Counties, we are talking about teacher pay. And the um, legislature is working on a two-year budget right now. 2018, it says the average teacher salary in Indiana stood at $54,846. Compared to neighboring Michigan, the average in 2018 was $62,700, and teachers in Illinois made $65,776 a year. My guest today to talk about this subject and some of the alternatives that are being uh, discussed in the legislature are Dr. Robert Taylor, superintendent for the Lebanon Community School Corporation. Dr. Taylor has served as a teacher, coach, assistant principal, and principal at the high school, middle school, and elementary school levels in both the U.S. and Europe. He earned a doctorate of education degree in leadership policy from IU and an MS Ed School Administration from IU as well, and a BS in elementary education from Olivet Nazarene University. He has served as an educational consultant and professional mentor for education, business partnership development, educational programming, and technology-based learning and education leadership. And in 2013, Dr. Taylor was named the Indiana Association of Public School Superintendents uh, for Superintendent of the Year, representing Region 5. He is also awarded the prestigious Boone County Chamber of Commerce Business Person of the Year Award. Mr. Judd Wolf is also joining us today. He is Superintendent of Finance and Operations for the Plainfield, Indiana Community School Corporation. Judd began his career in 81 as an instructor of business and physical education classes. And in uh, addition to coaching football and basketball, in 1989, he left Plainfield and served the next 15 years as an assistant principal, associate superintendent, and assistant superintendent. Four schools in Nashville, Indiana, Indianapolis, and Greenwood, Indiana. And uh, he returned to Plainfield in 2004. He has a bachelor's degree from Indiana State University and a master's degree uh, and ed from Indiana University. Uh, he's also actively involved in the Indiana Association of Public School Superintendents and the Indiana Association of School Business Officials. And Finally, Keith Gamble, the Vice President of the Indiana State Teachers Association. Mr. Gamble is a middle school music and drama teacher in Evansville and is serving in his uh, second or third three-year term. 
Second. Second three-year term at the uh, Indiana State Teachers Association, or ISTA. Uh, he has taught in Evansville Public Schools for almost 30 years. He served as the Evansville Teachers Association president before his election to his current role. And he serves as the president of the ISTA Foundation. Thank you all for being here today. And that almost wraps up the show. But um, <laughs> let's talk about uh, teacher pay. Let's start with you, Keith, if we can. Um, the issue is what? The issue is uh, funding from the state. Um, about a decade ago, uh, the state took over uh, the general fund, and uh, at that time we went through a big recession, which changed uh, the funding that we were able to get from the state, and that's what really drove uh, stagnant times for uh, schools to be able to continue the pay that we had. And if you, if you go back and look, 10 years ago, we were on par with our neighboring uh, states. And um, it is through some of those changes that we are where we are today. And so we're having to make some, um, some drastic work in order to make sure that we're able to retain uh, the qualified folks that we have in our schools. Eight or nine, ten, eight or $9,000 a year difference in uh, some of our neighboring state uh, salaries for teachers. What does that, I mean, that brings up a whole bunch of different issues, but what problems does it cause that we don't pay as much? Well, the big problem you have, uh, student debt um, is at record highs. You have folks that are, are making decisions. Can they, can they stick with the profession that they love and they believe that they should be a part of uh, and uh, ever be able to get out of debt in a way that they can start a family, uh, buy a home? What kind of life can they have if they stay in that? And when you look at where we are geographically, a young person in Terre Haute or Richmond, when they're looking at, you know, a 20 or 30 mile commute across the state line, and it's going to mean a difference in $10,000, it can really change their life and what they're able to do. And if they're, if they're committed to wanting to be a part of the profession, and they really want to be teaching, they're going to make decisions like that, and we're starting to see it. Teacher shortage. Absolutely. I mean, that's, I mean, nobody likes to use the word shortage, but that's kind of what we're suffering from right now. It's real. Dr. Taylor, what do you think about a teacher shortage and getting teachers the pay that they need? I know you've talked about this before. Well, I'm coming from a, a passionate perspective. I'm a third-generation Hoosier educator. And so education is the family business, and I'm, I'm quite proud of that fact that uh, I'm part of that business and part of Indiana public education. Uh, to the point of, of where we're heading both with teacher compensation, but as a superintendent, I also want to point out it's just educational staff compensation. Teachers are the cornerstone of, of our educational <laughs> programs here in, in the state of Indiana. But if the students can't get into the school because we can't afford to keep bus drivers in place and we can't feed them lunch because we can't uh, compensate our food service workers and they're not in a safe and clean building because we can't compensate custodians, it is an overarching issue of compensation. And, and as we just heard, I think it's it's been a 
not an instant concern or, or, or crisis. It's been growing in the state of Indiana for about the last 10 years. Um, a, a couple of things I think are, are very important to look at, in my opinion, when we talk about teacher compensation. One is, how do we compensate our educators that is not only reflective of their ability to earn a, a living, uh, their ability to grow as professional, but also how do we compensate our educators to reflect how we feel in the state of Indiana, the importance that, that they bring to uh, our state. Um, truly, um, again, and I will readily acknowledge my bias, without a strong education system in the state of Indiana, we are not a state that works. But we're a state that constantly looks for quick fixes, and this is not a quick, fish, a quick fix issue. To go back to kind of that 10-year scope, uh, just let's look just basically at data that I received. This is from Dr. Phil Downs out of Fort Wayne. Um, over the last eight years, from 2010 to 2018, um, the cost or the, the, the consumer uh, product index or the, the cost, the inflation we have, has been 16.7% in, in the state of Indiana. Uh, tuition support, where the funding comes for teachers from our state, the inflation or the increase they've provided is 12.12%. So right away, not even looking at salaries, we're looking at an almost $300 million loss in spending power the teachers have had. So that's, that's an issue. We talk about compensation, but let's really talk about how do we put a sustainable funding formula into our state budget that will allow teachers not only to have a competitive salary, but to have a sustainable competitive salary, and that goes to the teacher shortage. If educators come into the profession knowing that there is a career opportunity and not just an annual salary that's connected to this, then I think what we will see is more people entering teacher college, teacher education. Clearly the research shows, and USA Today research that I looked at clearly shows there's a drastic reduction in the number of students, not only in Indiana, but nationwide, that are entering teacher education programs. And as a graduate of Indiana University and a uh, parent that sent money to Purdue University, and we have another <laughs> fine universities, Ball State, Indiana State, number of great universities in our, in our sure. state. Uh, what we see is we're not having students choose to go into education. And that's where the, the, the kind of decline of quality candidates comes from. And it's probably mm. a few years out before we really start to see a shortage, right? I mean, if, if we don't have the same number of kids going into education and teaching now. It's a rather complex um, equation of where our teacher shortage comes from. You know, currently there's a drastic shortage in some key areas such as science and mathematics. Yeah. Some of our more uh, uh, focused um, content areas. Mm -hmm. um, and that then leads to... Uh, a lot of reasons. One, I think, is the compensation area that we're here to talk about today. Another is what's the perception of educators in the state of Indiana? How has our uh, government leaders uh, and, and our society in Indiana in general looked at educators? Has it been with um, admiration? And has it been with respect or has it been with some kind of, of doubt about their effectiveness? You know, we talk about uh, where Indiana falls among our our neighboring states of Michigan, Illinois, Ohio, Kentucky. You know, if you look at the compensation for our teachers, we rank fairly low. Uh, matter of fact, I think we are somewhere in the 37th. I think we're 37 or 38 nationally. But if you look at our graduation rate, our teachers, administrators, school support personnel, we rank higher than any of those states in our graduation rate. We are the 15th highest rated state 
in the United States of America when it comes to high school graduation. Now, that's just one benchmark we can look at. Mm-hmm. But that shows not only what our high school teachers do, but you know what? You can't graduate from high school if you don't have a good kindergarten teacher to get you started. Yep. You don't have a good third grade teacher to move you forward. And you don't have a good middle school teacher to help you get through those awkward adolescent years that I'm not so sure are not as critical as anyone else. <laughs> You're right. So when I look, and again, I'm passionate about this, obviously, but when I look at our return on investment in the state of Indiana, we're putting fewer dollars in, almost $300 million less into education, and yet we're outperforming those in our region. And so here's one of the issues I worry about. When we have states that pay teachers more than Indiana, in today's society, it's not unusual to jump in the car and drive to Cleveland, Ohio, Lexington, Kentucky, Springfield, Illinois, you know, Grand Rapids, Michigan, and start to work. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So we need to be competitive regionally. We also need to be respectful of how we not only fix today's issue of compensation, but how do we make sure that's a sustainable um, financial um, reward for teachers that we can now move us from a teacher crisis to a teacher celebration. Do you think we're in a crisis? In those areas that I mentioned, and I certainly want to uh, respect my, my fellow colleagues here, and I, they have as much information to share as I do, but sure. yes, in those areas where we're critically short, we're, let's face it, we're in a great economic time here in the United States. And mm-hmm. so the private sectors, and we have a lot of great companies in Indiana, from the Lilies and the Roches to other in- institutions, when it comes to those science and math-focused yep. and the engineering-focused, the STEM-related Uh, education um, courses, then yes, we are losing for financial reasons because the compensation is so different. I I also looked in USA Today, just a a quick, in in 2017, the average salary of a college graduate in a non-teaching profession Mm -hmm. was over $50,000. The average salary in a teaching profession was $38,000. That's the same four-year degree. Yep. And yet we're at twelve thousand. Well, I, I correct that thirty-eight thousand six hundred seventeen dollars. I don't want to misrepresent that six hundred seventeen dollars. Right. But when when I make a choice, and if I'm looking at almost a twelve thousand dollars starting difference from day one, yeah. I'm going to really reflect. So absolutely, in those in the STEM areas, you are seeing that. But across the board, special education is becoming extremely critical (laughs) in in trying to get folks in. We're seeing fewer candidates even uh, to come in for elementary ed, which used to be the place where you had um, you were the the school district was in control with being able to they were hiring the absolute top. And now they've, you know, they'll have postings go for what used to be an hour, and they were flooded with applicants. That now that posting is up for weeks or months at a time yep. for that. And in a strong private job market, yes, folks are looking around and and realizing. I went to school with some of these uh, just a few years ago, and yep. they're in the private sector. And they're making decisions about their life, um, and they hate to leave the profession. We hear it all of the time oh, because sure. they're so committed to it. But when they, they look at, at wanting to start a family and put down roots, they have to make other decisions. So, so there is a lot going on with this kind of stuff. But, and, and I want to talk about, get to some of the legislative ideas about how to work this. Uh, uh, but I think we need to kind of go back and Judd Wolf from Plainfield, uh, if you could help us a little bit with the um, 
finances on a school district and how that works. Uh, uh, spending is difficult in because you get money from the state and you get money from property taxes uh, they go into different funds and how that can you give us an idea an overview of of what we're looking at to build up teacher pay well i think what bob had made the comment earlier um in 2009 the state of indiana essentially took over all the funding for schools uh there was there was a large property tax debate at the state level a lot of changes were made, and the state took over what was then the general fund. The general fund was the fund that was used for, for teacher wages. At the same time, we did have a recession hit the United States, and we also had a new um, phenomenon in school funding called circuit breaker credits. And some school corporations... Uh, suffered larger losses of property taxes due to circuit breaker credits. This is because of 1%? Because during, the 1% cap, the 1% cap yes. on homeowners. And to further compound the reductions in our state support from 2009 to 2010, some school corporations were forced to use general fund dollars to help pay bus drivers to get the kids to school further uh, complicating the issue of fewer dollars being made available to go to our teachers because some school corporations had to use those dollars for all lines of support staff. So yeah. it's, it's, it, it's, been a, it's been a long-term problem in the making, and Bob is exactly right. We've been a state of short-term fixes, and it's going to take us a while to, to work out of this one. Now the state uh, the state pays primarily for teacher wages benefits that kind of stuff that from the kitty of money that you get from this that school districts get from the state that primarily goes towards paying teachers um, additional educational staff principals that's how that works that's correct and then the operations is paid out of property taxes primarily correct. correct. Okay, so one of the and I and this is reading back. <laughs> you guys probably know more about what's going on with the legislature than I do, but it was obvious when uh, Governor Holcomb did his state of the state address that teacher pay was high up on his list. So we see him um, we see him uh, promote and appoint a blue ribbon panel or whatever you want to call for a two year study of this. And he is suggesting that we have a little bit of extra money. We might as well put it in, or we might pay off pension benefits. Would that help the school systems, Judd? Absolutely. If the state of Indiana would dip into their reserves and use some of their reserves to pay down part of the liability, what that would what that would do is be reduce the amount of money that school corporations have to pay back to the state of Indiana for pension responsibilities, and that would free up some additional dollars that we could use for our staff. Agreed? Yes, yeah, and that we were um, quite uh, pleased uh, for the governor. It's the first time we've had a governor with this size of a surplus even be willing to suggest that we dip into that. And um, in this plan, it is that is sustained 
um, resources that the schools will have um, and not just one-time dollars. Now, we have two different corporations here. Would, would paying off, I, I talked to uh, Charles Tate, Dr. Taylor, yesterday, your assistant and your finance um, in your corporation. Would that help Lebanon if they were to pay off? It does. It, it provides that opportunity to not have to be as so creative with limited funds, uh, as, as you know we've just said here. The state really provides us the funding that we deal with personnel, and in most school budgets, personnel dominates a large part uh, of of the school budget. Yeah. Uh, it's a people business, and we're proud of that, and we don't want to change that. But we don't make widgets. We work with kids, and so we want to make sure our personnel that are doing that uh, are, are quality, and, and that, that costs money. Um, but as we said, not only as the governor, which I'm very pleased, and, and so this doesn't become a poor, pitiful us. The legislators are just <laughs> dismantling public education. I think quite the opposite we're seeing. Granted, we're just about halfway through the session, and we all know sometimes that that, that legislative session goes away. But just recently, House Bill 101, uh, coming out of, of the uh, representative side of the House, uh, proposed an increase of over $431, or $431 million uh, for schools that would be in the distribution formula over the next two years. And I don't have the percents. I think that's somewhere in a 2.1 and 2.2, which is great. Combined with that, though, going back to your your statement or what we were talking about, is having that additional, uh, what's basically about $150 million coming in to assist in the teacher retirement, takes school contributions from 7.5% to 5.5%. Now, if you're a finance guy, those numbers are exciting because you live, you live, for, those, oh, you live for those numbers. If you're a superintendent or if you're an educator or if you're someone um, involved with school, what that means is now the opportunity for catching up with inflation, providing a, a livable wage increase uh, is now become more of reality. Uh, of course, with everything else we do, the cost of fuel goes up, the cost of heating the building goes up, the cost of um, grass seed goes up mm -hmm. to keep the playgrounds right. safe. So there's a constant um, check and balance of what's available for school systems to use to keep the total educational program going. But again, as we're sitting here today, let's not lose sight of the fact that teachers in the classroom are by far and away the most important asset that any community education program has. And so when we can free up what's going to be about $611 million, I, you guys, I don't know if we're on tap with that. That's kind of my calculation. Uh, over the next couple of years, that's a great start. And I applaud our governor. I applaud our legislators for starting there. Now, if we convene again in May when it's all said and done, then we'll sit here and tell you if we're all shaking heads and smiling or we're going, oops, here we go again. If, if I that, will if agree. $611 million, would that be it? I agree that it's a good start. Okay. But How our, our early, our early run yeah. on this is we now have the formula by which the funds are distributed. And our early run on it, about two-thirds of all Indiana schools will receive less than inflation. And you're talking about the formula that they use to pay per student? Correct. Okay. 
And and so just so our listeners understand, the state pays school districts a per pupil. Uh, they have a count day and they pay per pupil. And that's basically how you get the money for your education fund. And the education fund is everything to do with education, wages, benefits, that kind of stuff, anything that has to do with. And then there's an operations budget which is for buses, bus replacements, bus drivers, all the stuff that takes to run a school district to get kids there to, but nothing to do necessarily with what they're being taught. I think it's important too, we, we think statewide. You know, as Lebanon is a suburban school corporation, Plainfield's a, a growing corporation, but we have small rural corporations where enrollment is declining, and as a superintendent, when I talk to my peers and, and members of our association, the Indiana State Superintendent Association, one of their big concerns is even when the funding formula changes with declining enrollment, that's declining revenue. So, you know, Indiana is famous for our, our small town atmosphere, our Hoosier hospitality, and, and we uh, can't lose sight of the fact that some of those smaller towns, um, Duggar or Western Boone or... Uh, you know, Ellettsville, Indiana, some of those across the state and all those around, also are facing similar uh, shortages that we face, similar funding issues, similar compensation issues, but they in the funding formula, the way it's currently structured, may not be sitting here today as we are saying, well, it's a good start, because they're looking at how the funding formula is tied directly to enrollment when it comes to the education fund, the ADM is what you were referring to earlier, that Mm -hmm. average daily maintenance. And so that's something that always has to be kept in the forefront. What's good for one in the state of Indiana may not be very good for the other. So we have to keep that open-minded perspective because Indiana education is what we're talking about. Um, we all have personal interest in our local school corporations or uh, you know, our, our regional areas, but we have to keep in mind that in order for our state to continue to be an excellent place for, for families to move to, for students to retain and stay here to work, it has to be a, a, you know, a Fort Wayne to Evansville and a Terre Haute to Richmond positive impact when it comes to education. So what, uh, what's going on in the legislature? What are some of the... Uh, new proposals. I've read w- about one proposal that says districts cap operational spending to 15% of the revenue received from the state. I, I'm not even sure how you figure that out in your head. Um, is that is that doable? Is that ridiculous? Do, uh, it seems like they're out of touch sometimes at the state house. Is it doable? Yes. I am a teacher with the Evansville Vandenberg School Corporation, and we're at 90 plus percent in um, uh, our education side to operations. So this legislation, while we can actually, I guess, celebrate uh, what is happening within our school district, what we have to be cautious of, though, there are school districts that may be at 83, 82, 81, even 79%, and it's the right thing for their school district. And what what I am uh, what I and ISTA are, are pleased with is when what we recognize in this legislation is it's just saying that the school district should say if we're not at that eighty five percent benchmark we need to just explain why we're not there and there are some very good reasons why they may not be at the eighty five percent mark right that that is absolutely the right thing for that school district and that community uh, but. 
that they want to make sure that everything's transparent with that. That's Keith Gamble with the Indiana State Teachers Association. So just a sort of a roundtable on uh, from what you hear, is there any idea what's going to come out in May or is, is it is there something that's got a little bit more momentum? And are we going to get a, a raise for teachers this year? And then I do want to talk about the Red for Ed rally. Sure. So I, I think first Jeff. of all, we've seen the 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 House version of the budget be very close to what the governor came out with earlier this year. Uh, but I don't think the legislature will be able to do anything for certain until they get their next forecast of revenue. And I don't believe they receive that until sometime in April. Um, but going forward, uh, I think the state wants to do something. The problem is I think the state has created a revenue problem for themselves that they just can't get it fixed fast enough. It's probably going to take them a few years. This problem has been coming on to us now for about 10 yeah. years. We're not going to solve it yeah. in two. Yeah, and that panel that we talked about earlier is not even going to make any decision until, you know, they're not going to have an impact and make a, a recommendation until 2021, which is two years, maybe too late, in in my opinion. Dr. Taylor? Let's not lose sight of the fact that panel also has no teachers or educators. Absolutely. Uh, it's a panel comprised of business, quite successful business but but I can tell you um, I'd like to tell you I'm an educator but I run a business my business is education I have 600 employees 40 million dollar budget but it's so different from running manufacturing or and not to say they're not in, well intended and I applaud the governor's uh, initiatives and efforts I think to go back to this theme of, of making some some meaningful change we have to quit trying to fund education with quick fixes and and uh, you know with with kind of the thought of the day and look at how are we committed in indiana to long-range funding um, i think there's no doubt in anyone's mind legislator parent educator wherever you're at that education is the key to maintaining quality of life in a state quality of life in a community quality of life in a home and until we see that commitment of continuity and not just this quick fix I think we're always going to be coming back to this table and talking to you about yeah. we appreciate this effort and this effort seems to have some impact, but when we get right down to it, we're still chasing things. So um, again, I compliment uh, this this legislature and this governor for taking more initiative that I've seen probably in the last twelve years uh, as an educator. And but I think again, it has to be a demonstration of commitment and not just of, of quick fix. Yeah. Keith Gamble, tell me about the Red for Ed rally coming up March 9th. Absolutely. March 9th, uh, we're asking anyone who is supportive of education in Indiana to join us at 1 o'clock at the State House. Um, we're gathering there to support and celebrate education. Um, and we want to make sure that our legislators know that education is important uh, and it's on the minds of Hoosier families uh, across the state from South Bend to North Vernon. Uh, so that, uh, and bring the family out. I'm sure that the downtown Indianapolis businesses would love to have you down there uh, spending a little bit of uh, money at the restaurants and so on and join us, uh, put on your red shirt and join us at the rally. You know, it seems like, and I, I know we could spend another half hour doing this, but it seems to me like if we do not get on the right track soon, 
that we're going to have an economic development problem because we will not have the workforce that can handle what's coming. I, I see a lot of head nods. Is yes. is is that a front of mind with the legislators, or are they just trying to get to the next two-year budget? My concern is that because those yellow buses are rolling and they rolled out in the fall and by nature educators are caregivers and we're going to make sure if they show up on our doorstep we're going to take care of them and we're going to do our best by them and because that happens year after year then the problem doesn't seem as large as it really is we haven't taken into consideration the hidden costs and and i'm sure uh panelists here know better than i the amount of hit that they're taking in the retention problem that we have principals and other administrators that are having to spend so much more time now than ever before digging through resumes, making appointments for interviews, that is a stress on the system that we're not taking into consideration any of that. And the loss of money there, uh, advertising budgets that schools have that we didn't imagine that we were going to have at one time, uh, all of those are stressors on the system and things that aren't thought about when we're, we're talking about this. Um, I certainly hope that we look at compensation of all of our employee groups, and that's going to be important. Certainly with this new money, what will be important is what commitment do the school boards make once this, once this budget is passed and it looks like there will be additional funding, then what commitments will our local school boards make to saying we're going to work to take that new money and put it into the compensation? Agreed? Agreed. I, I think without question, um, once the new money is available, and, and then Indiana is, is very committed to local control. And so it does come down to those local school boards. Uh, so back, back to, I think the, the whole issue of economic development, this, this has a downward spiral if it's not corrected. If, we, if our future uh, workforce is not capable of paying a level of tax support to the state of Indiana, we're down a rabbit hole that we won't be able to come out of. And so that now impacts not only educators, it impacts every business owner, manufacturer, and homeowner, and citizen in our state. So, again, education is not the save-all, but if you don't have it as a strong foundation, it leads to all these other concerns that will impact every citizen in the state of Indiana, regardless of whether you're an educator or regardless of whether you're a, a, you know, a retired individual. So. And that will be the final word for Connecting Counties, and I appreciate I want to thank my guest, Dr. Robert Taylor, uh, Superintendent of Lebanon Community School Corporation, Keith Gamble with the Indiana State Teachers Association Vice President, and Judd Wolf, Assistant Superintendent of Finance for the Plainfield Community School District here in Indiana. My name is Gus Piercy. I appreciate all your help today, and I know we've only scratched the surface and we could talk another two hours, but I do appreciate you at least giving us an idea of what the problem is. This has been Connecting Counties with your host, Gus Piercy, presented by Duke Energy. Duke Energy offers these tips for understanding your bill. Check the number of days in your billing cycle. Most bills are for 30 days, but there are times when the billing cycle is shorter or longer. If there are more days in the bill, it could be higher. 
Look at average kilowatt hour uses per day. At first glance, your bill may look higher, but if your average use is similar to the same time last year or in a month with similar extreme temperatures, it's a normal bill. Residential customer service specialists are available Monday through Friday, 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. by calling 1-800-521-2232.